Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, with two-man coverage of the red and gold, this is the Locked On Chiefs Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday episode of the Locked On Chiefs Podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 12th. And Kansas City Chiefs fans, this is Raider Week. Can't really look forward to Raider Week very much, but that is what this is, and it is going to be a very good test for Kansas City to see where they stand as a team. Football season is back. If you want to get in the action and play like the pros, go to mybookie.net. It's the most exciting online experience for sports fans. MyBooking.net features real Vegas odds and incredible player props for every single game. The best part is even if the game's already kicked off, doesn't matter. They have all the things that you need right then to make a live bet in real time. It's never too late to jump in and make a play on anything that you see mid-game or not. It's optimized for smartphones, and there's no reason for you not to be in the nonstop action on the go. So go online and type in MyBookie in your browser and sign up today. Use promo code CHIEFS to be entered into their million-dollar prize. Join the thousands of online players already playing. Only the biggest, only the best, only at MyBookie. Go sign up today. And we are back for Wednesday's show with Seth Kaiser. Thank you for coming on with us today, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Good to talk to you. All right, so you wrote an article last week about Alex Smith. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I know we kind of talked about it last week on the show, but do you want to talk about what you actually found when you actually dove into the tape? I'm sure it was heartbreaking to have to watch and depressing as well. But Well, I did what I usually do. I delved into the All-22, and basically I was able to confirm what everyone already knew. Smith really struggled against Pittsburgh. And what I think is really important to note and the thing that needs to get cut off in people's minds, the first thing people are going to say is, well, Andy Reid called a terrible game, which in large part I agree with. I think Reid made a bunch of terrible play calls. The second thing they're going to say is, well, the offensive line didn't give him any time to throw the ball. That's Those are the two things people are going to say. Well, here's the problem. I One of the things that I chart is missed shots which are throws down the field. Generally speaking, I stick with 10 or more yards. That way I'm not looking at guys who are two yards past the line of scrimmage. But those are wide receivers who are open, and Smith is not at the moment under pressure, and there's clearly an opportunity to see them. You know, I'm not talking about guys who come open on the opposite side of a wide receiver screen. I'm talking about players who, by and large, you should see them most of the time. Well, Smith had 11 missed shots against the Steelers. And I can tell you that four or five of those were shots that were like 25, 20 yards down the field. And guys that were, I mean, wide open. 
And so the idea that Smith's struggles were solely based on Andy Reid and the offensive line just isn't true. Um, I charted, I chart happy feet snaps. Those are snaps where Smith bails on a clean pocket, creating his own pressure or killing the play. I charted five of those and I was generous with that. Smith, Smith bailed on some clean pockets. Um, you know, if there was some pressure, there were some poor play calls, but at the end of the day, Smith just had as bad a game as I've seen him play as a chief outside of maybe against uh, green Bay last year. He was just bad. He had six throws that I charted as inaccurate. And when I say inaccurate throw, I don't just mean the ball placement was a little off. I mean, he, he threw an uncatchable ball. And so, well, and, yeah, but so between, you know, you got 11 missed shots, you got five happy feet snaps, you got six inaccurate throws. You got half his dropbacks were torpedoed by bad play on his part. And while I agree with what you're saying on that, I will say that he should, that shouldn't be half of his dropbacks. If he's having that bad of a game, they shouldn't be having him run, throw the ball that much. And they threw, what, 50 times in that game? Oh, man, Which, it was, yeah. I know the score dictated some of that, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to run the ball. And Andy Reid just did not run the ball against Pittsburgh. He has refused to run the ball early in the season for the most part. I mean, yeah, he's had a couple of games where it's been okay. But he has not run the ball consistently. And I hope that changes with Charles. But at the same time, I I hope I somewhat hope it doesn't shift too much the other direction. Because you don't want to just start giving Charles a full load right off the bat. I don't think he's in game shape yet. Yeah, and I have no idea. I mean, they've certainly been careful with him. He's had plenty of time to to run things out. You know, when you've got a guy as talented as Spencer Ware, I don't know how much game shape is really going to matter because Charles in Spencer Ware has the most talented guy that he's ever had with him in the backfield. That includes Thomas Jones. That includes, you know, Larry Johnson because he'd become 2.7 by then, you know. He just wasn't who he was. Where is a guy that you legitimately want on the field? And so I think you're going to be able to to sub, sub the two out enough that I don't think game shape is going to be important. I am concerned that Reed is going to overcompensate with Charles being back and go back to a completely Charles-centric offense that is predictable. Now on the flip side of that, with the way the offense has looked the last few weeks, almost anything would be better, even the Charles-centric predictable offense because Charles is so good that he can make it happen, provided he comes back full strength. But I'm with you. I, I hope we see better bounce. People talk about, well, there was a big lead. Well, you and I talked a little bit before we, we started this, and they weren't running the ball early in the game either. Spencer Ware is averaging over five yards a carry. He really ought to be running the ball more. And I mean, he, he's, he, he wears defenses out, and he fires up the offense when he gets going with his running style. It fires up the offense to see him running over defensive backs and linebackers, but they're not doing it. They're treating him as a receiving back a lot, and where is a solid receiver? But the line is better at run blocking than pass blocking. Now, they haven't been awful pass blocking, in my opinion, contrary to what you're hearing from a lot of Chiefs fans, but they're they're better at run blocking, and the run game is the kind of thing where you've got to stick with it. you got to make a commitment to it, <clears throat> and once you do that, when you've got a team with the roster the Chiefs have, you can usually have success, but they just haven't stuck with it. If it hasn't worked a couple runs early, Reed just moves completely away from it, and he starts using his you know substitute run plays, those, those quick outs to the sideline, the wide receiver screens, the things that teams are gunning for right as the ball is snapped. 
it, they just don't work. Well, and what has been frustrating for me to watch is, especially in the Steelers game where they came out throwing and they did really well throwing, <laughs> and then they came out and they ran three straight runs, and you're sitting there like, okay, well, what are you doing? Because, and I think the three straight runs were maybe after the interception, but you know, you got to pass, you have to have some balance. You can't do all passes. You can't do all runs. Right. You should be mixing it up. Even if you only have three plays, there should be at least one run and one pass in there. I don't, unless you're running the ball down somebody's throat. If you're running the right. ball down somebody's throat, then you, you stick with that and you go with it. Yeah, if you're running but five Smith or six yards Smith isn't the quarterback. You need throwing every play. Right. If you're running five or six yards a pop, I'm, right. I'm of the mind that you do it until they show they can stop it. Um, right. Absolutely. That, yeah, and vice versa. You know, the same thing with the passing game. If, if you're just carving them up, well, keep doing it. You know, you, you mentioned they came out their first two plays. They had 15-plus yards with good zone-busting throws. And then they they got off rhythm with a uh, with with a incomplete swing pass to Charles that felt forced in my opinion, and then I mean they just once 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 Ware fumbled, everything just built from there. The whole team just tightened up. It was it was crazy to see, but yeah, there needs to be a balance there, and hopefully Reed finds it. He he said a lot about going back to the drawing board. And, he seems to understand that he needs to do a better job. Last year, everyone keeps saying that Andy Reid doesn't change. Andy Reid doesn't change. Last year, after the one and five start, we saw Reid change his offense significantly, and for the better. And that's what's been frustrating to me is that you sit there and you watch what he did last year, and you say, okay, as soon as Charles went down, the offense completely changed, and. So the offense should be better this time this year with Charles coming back Mm -hmm. as long as he stays true to the type of offense he was able to run. But he's gone back to being just completely unpredictable. I mean, you know, you're talking about those two 15-yard plays. Yeah, and then you do a a QB rollout right into uh, why. I mean, you didn't need it at that point. The line was doing fine. And Reed is a guy that scripts a lot of his – first offensive plays, so I don't know why you script a play like that unless you see something on the line that tells you you need to do a rollout. Pittsburgh was not a team that had any sacks, so why even run a rollout type play where you're getting Alex close to the line of scrimmage and and you're asking Fulton to do something that he's not going to be good at doing? Right. Well, yeah, he's he's not good at rolling to the left and throwing the ball anyway. It just it, it brings you towards Harrison, their best pass rusher. I, I hated that play call. It just blew my mind that they were they did that when what they were doing was working. Pittsburgh has a secondary that you can pick apart if you're patient with them. You don't need to roll the pocket. You don't need to get cute. If you get Alex on the move on his own, I think he gets a little more jittery. Honestly, this idea rolling him left and right, I hate plays like that because he doesn't throw particularly well on the run. And he, he just doesn't – it makes him jittery. When you can get him calmed down and you, you don't necessarily give him easy throws to get him going, he doesn't quite work that way. But if you get him in the pocket and you show him that he can trust his blocking more often than not, he does better. And so I, I hate plays like that. He does well when he's using his legs to make plays and he knows the defense knows that. And he does well when he trusts his blocking. And you can't accomplish either of those things on these rollouts that ask him to do something that he's bad at. Well, and I honestly wouldn't mind some of the rollouts near as much. I'm not going to say he's good at them, and I will agree with you, he's probably not. 
but I wouldn't mind the rollouts as much as if you see that they're getting pressure and you need to adjust to the pressure sure. they're getting and keep them off balance. Right. But that's not what that was. Right. That was that's... a design play call that Reed already had preset, and you're sitting there going, I understand you have preset play calls for the most part for your first 10 to 15 plays, right. but when you, you stick with what's working. Right, and maybe Reed needs to get away from doing that. The Chiefs' offense keeps starting off insanely slow. Maybe it's time that they, they get away from this scripted stuff. That's just my opinion. When their offense was the most successful last year was when he let Smith take control at the line of scrimmage. I've seen fewer audibles this year. I've seen fewer adjustments made at the line of scrimmage than I saw down the stretch last year from the Pittsburgh game on. Significantly fewer. Now, maybe I'm just not watching for it closely enough, but that's something I kept a close eye on because I was curious, would Reed continue to allow Smith to have free reign at the line of scrimmage? So far, I haven't seen it. And that's concerning. No, and I agree. That is definitely concerning. To me, the question I would have is, if those plays are pretty much scripted, why are they taking so long to run them? That's that's a wonderful question. I mean, seriously, Smiths look good in a picked-up pace type of offense this year in more of a two-minute-style type offense. Right. Why, why if these plays are truly scripted, which is generally what Andy Reid will do, Mm -hmm. and that's something he said time and time again, why is it taking them almost the entire play clock to run plays? Yeah. If you're going to do that, give Smith the reins for the first 10 to 15 plays of the game and see what kind of game you're going to be having. Yep. Script the plays and run them and be quick about it. Right. And the best we've seen Smith play was when he was given authority to make calls and read coverages on his own at the line of scrimmage, not call scripted plays. And so I don't know why they would move away from that, but it looks like they have a little bit. And that's not to absolve Smith of the struggles he's had. Smith has not played well the majority of the season. He struggled with accuracy. He struggled with happy feet. And he struggled with missing open receivers, which in all of which he struggled at a much higher rate than he did last year. So I'm not absolving Smith of blame, but he, he he's played his best when he was given control at the line and suddenly it doesn't seem like he has as much, and that makes zero sense to me. Well, especially when you look at the playmakers that he has on the team right now, he knows who those guys are. He knows who he trusts. Give him the opportunity to go run the offense the way he wants to run it for the first 10 plays and see what you have. Right. It can't I mean, be worse than what they've been doing. You look at what – well, yeah, and you look at what he did against San Diego – that was one of those pl- times where he got in a hurry-up type offense, and I think he was calling some of the plays. Maybe he wasn't calling them all, but it sped up the offensive process, mm-hmm. and you got off to a very good start in the second half and ended up coming back to win the game. The Jets game is, you know, I'm not really concerned with because they didn't really ever try to do anything because the Jets basically gave the game away. But right. they couldn't get anything going against Houston, and they obviously couldn't get anything going against Pittsburgh until late. Right. But now you're getting ready to face a Raiders team that has a historically horrible defense right now. And yep. if Kansas City can't get their offense running, that is a huge problem. Absolutely, because I think, I mean, the Raiders' offense presents some problems. They're going to need to score. I don't think the Chiefs' defense, now I don't think the Chiefs' defense is nearly as bad as they looked against Pittsburgh. They were put in some really awful spots, and Pittsburgh's offense is a buzzsaw. Their offense is ridiculous. Ben Roethlisberger is one of, even though he's considered one of the better quarterbacks in the league, I still think he's underrated. 
because or overrated. I'm sorry. Um, not no. Let me. Yeah, underrated. There we go. Um, he even though people can, yeah, I got confused there. Even though people consider him good, I think he's one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the NFL when he's healthy. He stands in there. He moves around the pocket well. He's got a cannon. He throws accurately. He throws receivers open. He reads defenses well. He does it all. And with that group they've got there on offense, especially with Bell back, I don't think the Chiefs' defense is as bad as they look there, but they're still going to have trouble against what's been a really good Oakland offense. Well, and to me, what that game came down to was, you know, the talk of Pittsburgh was Kansas City has a good defense. We're going to have to watch out for their corners. We're going to have to watch out for Marcus Peters. We know that. And then you saw what the first play of the game was. Mm -hmm. They took a deep shot on him. I mean, you know, from the outset, it was going to be one of those things that they're going to go and they're going to go uh, however they want to do it. And that's what they did. And, yeah, you know, they pulled it off. Uh, they pulled it off. But I will say this. I think you're right. I don't think the Chiefs defense is nearly as bad as they looked. And I think that what you would see if that game was played again is you would see a much better DJ White because I think he was way too hyped up for that game and yeah. did not really have a clear picture of what was going on the entire game, which is sad, but he's a rookie. He's a six round guy. And that's something that, you know, you're going to have to live with if you're going to have, if you're going to play him. And if you have Philip Gaines back, that's a completely different ball game in my mind, because I think that he uh, is a lot stickier at corner than DJ white was. And maybe some of those deep pass plays don't happen. I, I completely agree. And so we'll we'll see. I, I think Gaines is definitely going to be back for the Raiders game from everything I'm hearing. So hopefully with Gaines coming back, with Charles coming back, <clears throat> there's a little bit of, uh, you know, the with LDT having two weeks to get completely healthy, get back to the level he was playing early, very early in the season and in preseason. Hopefully that uh, gives him, hopefully that gives the team the lift that it needs. You know, at the end of the day, they're still 2-2 two and two right now. And they're at a 500 record. It's a much less grim situation they found themselves in last year. So we'll see. I, I, I'm not quite ready to give up on the team just yet. Um, Smith and Reed both have to pull it together, though. They have a possibility, you know, maybe not after this game and, and maybe not in the next couple, but we're going to find out pretty soon about Justin Houston and where he is. And, you know, some people have written him off, and I'm not so sure that I'm not almost there myself, but it seems really interesting to me that they'd let Desmond Moses go and sign an inside linebacker instead of bringing in somebody else that can rush the passer with Houston being able to return as early as next week. I think if there was no chance at Houston coming back this season, they would already be saying some stuff about it because they would want to, the bye week would be the perfect time to let fans freak out They've got an away game immediately thereafter, so you don't have to worry about it maybe affecting this, the ticket sales for the very next game. I think that would be the perfect time, and maybe they wouldn't want to do it after a big loss. I don't know. But the team, the players, know. So what, whether they announce it to the public isn't, you know, fans tend to think that what affects their morale is going to affect the players' morale. The players already know where Justin Houston is at. They already know whether he's coming back. And they know if there's no chance. And so the fact that there's been a complete media blackout on it, which I know has some people freaked out, that to me is slightly encouraging that they believe there's a shot. Because if there wasn't a shot, they would have said something by now. It's really easy to forget because he's been injured, but Justin Houston is one of the best three or four defensive players in the NFL. He is a freak. 
He is right up there. I mean, when it comes to like front seven guys, you got him, you got Von Miller, you got J.J. Watt, you got Khalil Mack, and then you have everyone else except the Aaron Donald. And Mack this season, I don't know if he even belongs with that whole group, honestly. And so, I mean, he, he is an absolute game-wrecking, game-changing monster against the run, against the pass. So him coming back would be such a difference maker. So you're writing an article on Chris Conley. I am. Uh, what are you looking at when it comes to Conley? I have been impressed by uh, some of the plays he's made, and I will say that was a grown-ass man catch uh, on the sideline in Pittsburgh. Yes. I was very impressed with the hands to be able to pull that ball in mm-hmm. uh, with the DB right there and being able to do that type of that type of thing. Well, he Conley has always, you know, from the time he joined the Chiefs, he's 6'2 or 6'3, depending on where you look. He weighs about 210 pounds. He's clearly very fast. He can jump out of the building. He's got these huge hands. Um, he catches the ball strong. Uh, these, are, these are all things everyone has known about him. What I'm looking for is improvement on the nuances of the game. Last year, he really struggled against press coverage. His routes weren't particularly sharp. Those were the two big things that I saw with him. So what I wanted to do is take a look at the film and see how often he's creating separation and how he looks against the press and with his general route running to see whether it looks better. So that's what I'm writing on right now. And I, you know, to not keep you in suspense, <laughs> um, both are both are significantly improved. I've got quite a few gifts I'm going to be throwing into the article to just demonstrate the fact that Conley has gone from a guy who, when he got pressed, he was done, to a guy who actually at times initiates contact with defenders and and uses his strength because he's become a much stronger player in year two to shove them off and create his own separation. He also is employing jab steps uh, and hand fighting and the occasional stutter step press beating techniques that I didn't see from him at all last year. So that's been a major improvement in his game, and it's resulted in him getting separation quite a bit more. Additionally, his route running, and I've got a few gifts on that too, is a lot more cleaned up. There's fewer wasted steps, fewer rounded cuts. He looks, you know, it's interesting. He he looks just much, much better. Statistically, he's not on pace for a huge season, about 60 catches, 700 yards. But he's a guy that I hope they start targeting more and more often because he's looked good just running routes out there. And he's shown, like you said, that grown man catch he made. He, he can go up and snatch the ball away from good coverage. And that's something the Chiefs have been kind of missing. Jeremy Macklin has good ball skills, but he's not a super physical receiver going out and grabbing a contested ball. What he's doing good at doing is getting enough separation to where it's not contested, right? He makes a good right. enough he makes good adjustments to where he's there and the corner's not. What Conley can do, and he did it earlier in the game too, and I've got a gif of that I'm going to use where he just snatched the ball out of the air on a uh, a quick developing in route where the coverage was actually there, but he just he reached out and snatched the ball before the defender could arrive, and it made the difference in the catch. Had he waited for it to come into his body, the defender likely would have broken it up. And so Conley is wildly improved. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Conley's looked much better this year. He has looked a lot more forceful going after the ball on catches as opposed to waiting on them. 
and he, I have to agree, he does look a lot better on route running. Uh, so that's a very encouraging sign. And, and this is his growth from year one to year two when, and with working with Macklin. You have to wonder what the ceiling could be for him if he does this kind of growth from year two to year three. Seth, I do want to thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. You want to tell people how they can find you again on Twitter? Yeah, no problem. You can find me at Real M N Chiefs fan. I'm not the fake one, the real one. <laughs> well, again, Seth, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you. Thanks have for having me. Have a great week. And uh, what is your prediction for Sunday? Oh, man. I predict that the Chiefs. I predict that Jamal Charles is going to score five touchdowns on receiving yards and have two. Oh, wait, that already happened once. Probably won't happen again. I think the Chiefs drop a, a heartbreaker 30 to 24. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks again for coming on. Everybody, thank you for listening, and we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Chiefs podcast. While you're out there, give us a rating or review. And reach out to us on Twitter at Ryan Tracy NFL and at Chris Clark NFL. We'll talk to you next time.